welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name, what matters. Okay, hello, welcome. I'm so thankful you are here and joining me for this episode. I know you will be too. Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by spiritual director and author Danielle Schroyer. I just love this conversation so much. Before we get into it, uh, I want to take a second to remind you that the Let It Matter podcast has launched our Patreon community, and we would love to have you join us there. For as little as $4 a month, partners get exclusive content like additional episodes, uncut interviews, Bible study and spiritual formation teachings, and monthly matterings, which is access to a private partners-only Zoom call with me that builds community as we dive deeper into recent episode topics. To get instant access to all these partner perks, head over to patreon.com forward slash let it matter pod or letitmatter.com forward slash podcast. Now, let me introduce Danielle to you for those who may not be familiar with her. Danielle Schroyer is a spiritual director, author, speaker, and former pastor. She currently serves as spiritual director in residence at Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church, where she creates formation resources and experiences rooted in wisdom spirituality. Danielle is a graduate of Baylor University and Princeton Theological Seminary and was a founding member of the Emerging Church Movement. She is the author of three books, most recently, Original Blessing, Putting Sin in Its Rightful Place. A Taekwondo black belt and a yoga enthusiast, she and her husband Dan have two college-aged children and they live in Dallas with their two rescue dogs and a patio of of feral cats. Now, let's get into the show. Danielle Schroyer, thank you so much for joining me on the Let It Matter podcast today. I devoured your book. I'm so thrilled to get to talk to you about it today. Um, So just welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Blessing is a topic that I I have long um, been really interested in. It's something I've been doing a lot of writing about lately, historical practices of of like the priestly, you know, the offering of a blessing as the office in a church and the priesthood of all believers and these sorts of things. And so um, I could tell by the title that your book wasn't totally about that, but it, it jives so, it's so much of it is overlap and, uh, and I just loved it. For those who are listening, um, the title of the book is Original Blessing. Um, the word blessing is a word that sort of gets used in relation 
you know, to everything from hashtags, hashtag blessed to money and material gifts to just good luck. Um, some people mean it that way. Um, so before we sort of get into anything else, I'd love if you could start by unpacking all that you mean by blessing as we'll be talking about it today. Yeah, that's really helpful. I know it does tend to throw people because sometimes that is um, connected to the prosperity gospel, um, which is mm. definitely not the way that I'm using it here. Um, mm -hmm. When I was thinking about kind of what to call the book, there, so this idea that I talk about in the book is sort of the the pre the thing that happened before we came up with the doctrine of original sin, um, the way mm -hmm. we view human nature. It has had a number of different um, titles, but in the eighty in the nineteen eighties, a Catholic priest named Matthew Fox wrote a book called Original Blessing with a very long subtitle that's different than mine, um, mm -hmm. who talks about creation spirituality, and he was sort of. Um, responsible for bringing this idea back into Western consciousness and into conversation. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to decide, do I want to call it original goodness or do I want to call it, you mm -hmm. know, there are all these options, but I went with original blessing um, in part to nod and honor and say, thank you to Matthew Fox, um, sure. who certainly has paved the way for this conversation to be deeper. Um, but also because there's just Goodness is a great is a great word. It has its own baggage, certainly. But the word blessing has this sense of gift in it. Mm -hmm. And for me, theologically, that was just really important to maintain yeah. when we're talking about this. So um, the Hebrew word for for uh, to bless is Barak. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what it means, it has sort of three meanings. And I actually talk about this briefly in the book. But the three meanings kind of make this really beautiful circle where God yeah. blesses us. And then we bless God and then we invite people to bless God with us. Mm. So it's this sort of circular, beautiful giftedness, gifting toward one yeah. another thing where we're always offering something forward. And so I think that that um, term blessing helps us really hold that, the sense that we are offering a gift. This, it's free of charge. You know, mm -hmm. it's something unearned. It's something it's a lovely gift to receive. Um, and it's also a lovely gift to give. So that felt really that's important. Great. And that's why I, I want, I wanted to maintain that because I, I feel like that's so at the heart of what God is doing in this that we've yeah. lost. So. Oh, I love that. That's great. Thanks for, thanks for starting us off there. So many of us, a, a good, a good chunk of my audience, my listeners are people who, um, either grew up in evangelicalism and have since left or are sort of wrestling with those ideas. Um, or maybe, um, yeah, there's a sliver of people who start just started out in the main line and have stayed there. Um, but so many of us have grown up with some version of the theology of original sin, whether we knew it by, you know, Adam's sin passed down to us or total depravity, the fall of man, um, sin nature. You talk about these things in the book. So we've heard that original sin is at our core and our nature. You argue in this book um, that actually original blessing is the truest thing about us. Can you talk a little bit about why original sin is not something that you subscribe to or you know what the case you're making in the book for that is? Um, and then what the concept of original blessing does to confront that, that narrative? Yeah. Well, I think the simplest thing is that I find original sin as a doctrine to be unnecessary. Um, mm. It's just unnecessary. You can have a doctrine of sin and of, uh, you know, of humanity that can be really, that is really flawed. You can 
you can really condone the systems of injustice in the world and mm -hmm. say, wow, that's, we've got to work toward justice. You can do all of that without having to have a doctrine of original sin. So mm -hmm. I think it's just unhelpful and unnecessary. The yeah. reason why I'm so against it is because it separates us from God in our nature, in our being. And when you do that on a psychological level, when you say that there is something in our very nature that is separate from God and that actually longs for something other than God, I just think that doesn't have biblical proof. And mm. also what a terrible thing to tell people. So you're going to tell people that they right. don't long for God. And then you're telling, you're going to tell them that they should long for God and that they need to repent. And then you're going to tell mm. them that after that, I mean, it just, what is happening, right? What yes, is happening yes, when we do yes. this? So if you take the unnecessary doctrine out, what you're left with is that we have a human nature where we have the propensity in every moment to choose either good or evil, um, something helpful or beneficial or something harmful. A lot mm -hmm. of times it's a mixture, which nobody you know yeah. wants to talk about, but good night. Half the time we or make a neutral choice. or... Yeah. Like yeah. it's not yeah. always clear either. There's all, you know, there's mixtures happening. And so, um, that just seems a lot more accurate to human life and to people's mm. lived experiences. Um, but the reason why I just cannot abide by the doctrine of original sin is because it says that we have the sin nature that separates us. And mm -hmm. that separation is, um, it's just theologically disastrous. Um, it's it so, yeah. When you said that thing about being unnecessary and unhelpful, and I think that's best case scenario. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, it's it's destructive, death dealing, totally. harmful, totally. Um, and misleading. I mean, it's an outright. Uh, yeah. it, if you think about what misleading means, you are leading someone away from what is their home in God. You know that that what's true about them, um, and so. If I'm, if I'm sort of thinking about this in like in a debate terms, and so how would you confront? Um, how would you say to or to the doctrine of original sin, not to someone or a, a proponent of it, but to the doctrine of original sin? What does original blessing? Um, why is that the better you know a better interpretation of all that's going on maybe in the scriptures, and also what um, more helpful? More, why is that one necessary? I guess. Yeah. Um, it's necessary because our goal in life is to move toward, toward wisdom. I think that's why we're here is that we are, you know, we could say we're, our goal is to move toward God, but God is wisdom. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, when we move toward God, wisdom grows in us. Right. Um, and yeah. for us to do that means that we have to have a, a true sense of self and the strongest sense of self that we can ever have is when we're grounded in the belovedness that God has given us freely. It's that yeah. gift. So when we Hold know on. that we are gifted that and that that is the core of who we are, then let's say we sin and it feels shameful and terrible. Instead of feeling like that um, is a declaration further of our separateness, we can see that as something that has to be removed for us to return to our home in God. You know, mm -hmm. it has to be, it is something to be recalibrated instead of, um, I, you know, of course you did because that's who you've been all along. Right. Ugh, um, yes. yeah. How do you, what's this, if you ask a psychologist, like what's the best way to ground a human person yeah. in health? 
you know, there's attachment theory and all mm-hmm. of these things saying, well, they need to have a stable environment where they feel loved and secure and cared for. And mm-hmm. that is exactly the environment that God gave us in our natures. And the doctrine of original sin attacks that yes. foundational groundedness. And how dare it? How dare it do that? <laughs> how dare it? The audacity. So I think many people may be thinking at this point, like, about Genesis 1, 2, and 3 as we're talking about original sin, what happened, you know, how blessing combats that. Um, first, can you walk us through how blessing shows up uh, in Genesis yeah. 1? Um, and then we'll move into sort of the temptation story and um, go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 are these two creation stories that are basically setting up for us this sense that God um, has benevolently and out of God's love created the world. Mm. Um, And that feels important to say (laughs) that this was, you know, this wasn't designed to like, Oh, and then I'm going to see if you do good. And if you don't, I'm sending, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it was a benevolently out of the abundance of God's goodness and creativity and grace and love. These things came forward and God called them good. Um, this is why we exist. This is why all of this exists is this like overflow of God's creative goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when we get to Genesis three, you know, I talk about how Genesis three is really, it's a coming of age story. It's this sense in which we are, we're confronted with, um, the human predicament that for us to grow up means in some ways for us to lose our innocence and that Mm -hmm. nobody wants to really sign up for that, but you, you have to like, um, you know, we look yeah. at the temptation as this temptation to to take part in the consciousness, right? Like the apple is, are you going to become conscious and realize, mm-hmm. oh my God, I can be somebody who does bad things and I can be somebody who does good things. And it's sort of up to me. I have a responsibility here, um, yeah. which is why, you know, um, in Jewish tradition, that's the age at which teenagers yes. have bar and bat mitzvahs that say, hey, you are a keeper of the law now. Like it's mm. your responsibility now to do this because you, you have to now start discerning the difference. It's celebrated like with this party. And we have now said in Protestantism in the West, like, Oh, this is terrible. Like this is when everything (laughs) fell apart. Um, But really we don't think about how there's, there's the temptation on the other side, which is you have the temptation not to eat of the apple, which means to say, I've decided not to grow up. I've decided to remain Mm. naive my whole life. You know, and this is very like in psychology terms, this is the Peter Pan syndrome, like the refusal Uh to grow up. And oh my, well, that's not a good story. That's not it either. That's not it. Right. And so um, we see in sort of the way that God has, that God has sort of designed this to work. And I I talk sometimes about in Genesis too, how you, you see that you hear this repetition, which is pretty common in um, the Hebrew Mm -hmm. Bible of the, the wide world, like God has created this wide world. And so you get the impression that the garden is just this tiny part. And Mm. um, I always like to share, like, do we really think that the whole point was for us to be part of this tiny part of the God's wide world? Like it was never the intention for us to stay there. And we've acted as if this is a huge catastrophe when actually it was, we had, we had to make this choice of, Mm. are we going to stay naive and stay in this one little part where it's safe? And never grow, or are we going to take part of the consciousness, go out into the world, and have to figure this stuff out? And by the way, that's going to be a mess, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, that's kind of my overall overarching take on Genesis one, two, and three. 
I, I love it. And, and to just drill down a little bit deeper, I want to, if I can just sort of read some of the the text, like wh- how blessing shows up. I see it in Genesis, Genesis one. When I think of bless- blessing, um, I think of speaking um, a blessed, like God speaking a blessing to, to something, someone, some day, some, you know, to, um, as is said in number six, to put my name on them. God says, I will put my name on them. Um, and so we see the repetition of, and it was good, um, right. that God is calling each, each part of creation good. And yeah. then, um, when we get to the fish and the birds, God speaks a blessing over them to, be fruitful and multiply. Not the other animals. They're going to also multiply. But for some reason, God just feels really, I guess, particular about the fish and the birds. And then we get to humans and we have the first, it is very good. We have, um, you know, let us make them in our image. We have um, God, you know, blessed the human, made, you know, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, um, all these things. And so, when you say original blessing, that's really what's happening before there's ever any fall yeah. or curse or temptation or anything like that. The first thing said over humankind, over creation is it is good and, you know, be blessed basically by yeah. God. How can that not be the truest thing about us? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think what happens um, for those who adhere to original sin is they say, oh, no, it did start that way, but then we messed it up. Um, and then, of course, this is the one thing that I can at least say in so- some sort of Calvinist language of sovereignty is, mm. so you think that we have the capacity to undo what God has set? Has set? Like right. the the actual imago day that God has decided we have, you think we can just like, you know, mess that up? That's a lot think- of power to put in human hands. <laughs> And also and, it doesn't and, say that, like, just in case, pick up no. the Bible and it doesn't say the word fall and it doesn't say, oh, and then their nature changed and they became mortal and they were previously immortal. It doesn't say any of those things that we've said it says. And the way I was taught, it was not just the humans became mortal and their natures changed. The cosmos Every, were fractured. Yeah, like everything. Right. And there's actually no, there's no assumption in any way that any of that was supposed to be immortal. And I think that's you know, we're, we're showing our hand a little bit. Why, mm. when we intuit something that we think, you know, we think the, the utopia is to stay where it's safe. Well, mm. okay. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, and we think that it means that we never die. And basically all of that to me, when it comes down to it is about avoiding suffering, right? It's about the human yeah. desire to avoid suffering and then you look at Jesus and you go, Oh, cool. Yeah. How does that work out for God? <laughs> you know? How does God, how does God, God's self yeah. deal with suffering, you know? Right. Um, so sweat, yeah, it sweat and blood hates it. Also yeah. chose it, hates also it and chose it. endured it because it's and part endured of it. Yes. yes. So, yeah. So I would say too, in Genesis three, if, if, if you do nothing else, if you can read it and just look at God's actions, you will very readily see where blessing shows up because mm-hmm. Instead of assuming you know what God's intent is, which is really dicey because it doesn't say God felt this way and then God did this, mm, right? So mm. we, 
we're, we're making it up when we say that. And that's fine. Like, you know, the Jewish tradition. Deducing from God's character that we were created out of love and things like that. But yes. Yeah. uh, Or like, we know that God is mad. Well, do we know that God is mad? It doesn't say God was mad, Yeah, you know? So we're, we can say that we think God could be mad, but we're just guessing. Because we Um, know that our parents got mad at us when we did something we were told not to do. And we think, of course, that was God's reaction. Right. Um, so, okay, so we, we've seen sort of original blessing in, in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, and in 3, we've talked a little bit about the temptation. You've, I was really captivated by what you said about the serpent also in your book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't, I, it might not have been the very first time I ever heard it, but it was the most succinctly sort of and plainly discussed. Can you just say a little bit about what the serpent means in the story and is and who that is and that sort of thing? Yeah. Well, you know, if you take it in the broader sense, if you think, okay, well, scripture is in fact literature and it was born in a certain time. Mm -hmm. Snakes are everywhere. Snakes are everywhere Mm -hmm. in the culture of the time in which Genesis was written. And they are symbols um, of change, of transition. Um, Mm -hmm. They are, they're not positive. I'm not saying, oh, that, that amazing, beautiful snake. No, like they're, they're tricksters that come in and sort of invoke this necessary decision. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see this even in like fairy tales and myths, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's not only in Genesis 3 that we see that, but there's this sense in which the snake is, the serpent is the one, it's never said that the serpent is Satan, by the way, but the, the serpent is the one that says, I'm here to tell you the truth of the matter, which is you have come to a decision point. So mm-hmm. you can either be tempted to stay naive or you can be tempted to go over this threshold into consciousness where things are going to get real messy, but also wisdom is possible, you know, and rightly Eve chooses to say yes to the, Mm. it's the correct choice, right? Mm -hmm. This is the thing that we've just totally gotten wrong is that she actually chooses rightly. Um, And it's also, whether it's right or not, it's necessary. And that doesn't mean it was a quote, good choice. It just means Mm. it was a necessary choice. Mm -hmm. And I think, get really hung up and like, oh, but it wasn't perfect. Well, yeah, sometimes, you know, the right choice hurts, you know, um, yeah. it's hard. It comes with both goodness and some bittersweet difficulty. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they had to move out of their parents. They had to move out of their parents' house and head out into the world and pay their own bills. And, mm-hmm. you know, nobody officially wants to sign up to adult, but <laughs> it's actually just required at some point. Yeah. You got to go figure out life on your own and listen to what your parents taught you <laughs> when they're not around, whether you're going to still do it or not. Right. And, and I think there's an aspect of it. That's like, um, speaking of the, about the serpent, particularly when you said that about an agent of change, there's a story somewhere in, in the Torah. Don't ask me where, where these, all these like poisonous snakes kill a, a, a ton of people they make them really sick of the israelites and what god commands moses to do is like make a bronze or some some type of metal snake hold it up and to be and the people who look upon that lifted up snake will be healed yes um and then jesus references that in his conversation with nicodemus yes he's like hey i'm like that i'm like that yeah that is um it has felt like, a, like no, I'm like, I'm what? like, I, I, you can't tell by my face, but I've, my head is spinning. Um, the idea that like 
I've always felt like it's it's loyalty to God to hate snakes. That, <laughs> it is our Christian yeah. team hates snakes. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. As a as an idea, anytime they show up, you know, anytime the, the serpent, of course, is Satan. And so we hate the devil and we hate the snakes. And um, right. and there's something, dem- you know, whatever. Um, but as I, I was just thinking about when you said that about agent of change, those snake, the poisonous snakes led to a significant change in the dynamics, the numbers, the, what was, you know, into the people of Israel. And so did the one that was lifted up. Totally. Yeah. Well, so does Jesus so. when Jesus says, I'm like that. Totally. And then you think, okay, when we think of all of medicine, when we think of healing, mm-hmm. we can't think of healing without thinking of snakes, actually, because the medical symbol, uh, which yeah. came from Asclepius, right, um, mm-hmm. is, is that a little bit of poison heals us. That's actually literally true. Like when we take yeah. medicine, when if you've ever put medicine in your body, then yeah. you can't hate snakes because it is <laughs> that in which a tiny bit of poison heals you from the larger thing. Like you have to take a little bit of the pain in yeah. for this larger healing to happen. And that is in fact what's going on in the garden, right? Yeah. Um, which circles back to your idea about wisdom. I'm sorry to cut you off. Um, yeah. That idea about wisdom, because I think we do get caught up on that. Was it the right choice or the wrong choice? Did she sin or not? When, if we can get rid of that binary and just say, you know, there's, there's things beyond that, those yes or no, right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. There's best, there's better, there's necessary, there's wisdom. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's maturation. And, uh, and so, and so like to, to, um, with snakes, you have to, there still is some caution necessary. You still have to engage them oh. with wisdom. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? It's not just, we're not just saying, so everyone, you're fine. Go handle, go start, you know, we're going to be one of those um, churches that does the rattlesnakes. Right. Not that either. Um, but, uh, but the, the sort of these cartoonish assumptions we've had right. sort of, yeah. um, that have cemented what we think is cemented our theology because of the way it looked on the felt board in Sunday school. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, it's just yeah. really interesting to think about. Yeah. It's bringing in that nuance. I was going to say one of my professors at seminary um, was so stumped by that, that story of numbers and Jesus and the snake mm-hmm. lifted up, um, that that is actually what caused him to spend the next decade of his life studying about serpents and um in Mesopotamia and everything. And that's, wow. he wrote that book that was the the thing where that I used as my main resource. And it's like this big, but it all came. And at the end he was like, I still don't understand what Jesus So I don't know. Did. Like, you know, there's no like one sentence, like, okay, now I figured out what this means. And I think yeah. that I, I bring that up partly because it's, it's kind of fun to say, wow, yeah. you're not the only ones. Like this guy thought for 10 years about this one thing and couldn't figure it out. But that is so important for us to hold on to because I think we we so want some sort of clear answer. Mm-hmm. And um, I think really honestly, one of the points of Genesis 3 is that that is that we have to die to that, actually. Like yeah. that is naivete and innocence to say it's going to be clean every time. I mean, there are some clear, ob- it doesn't mean that, you know, truth doesn't exist, but it does mean that we have to be mindful that the world is a lot more complex than we want it to be. And you cannot be frustrated into simplifying it down to something that is cartoonish, as you said, particularly ancient literature and origin story. um, That is a beautiful origin story, but we don't need to make the Bible a history book or a science textbook either. Um, And, 
and I, I always have that conversation separately. So we'll have like a podcast guest on, we we'll talk about how to read the Bible. And then in this conversation, I'm talking about it like it's literal and oh, oh, and so that blows up what the serpent, serpent may not be Satan, but I'm assuming there's a serpent for real. And that, you know, that this actually yeah. happened in a garden somewhere rather than, um, you know, the story being told and passed down and, and having truth, but necessarily not a historical fact or something like that, you know? <laughs> um, so, okay. So let's talk about Genesis three and the, what has become called the fall and yeah, the curses. Right. Um, will you just un- start to unpack all of that? Yeah. So we kind of talked already about this. So fall, that word isn't in there. There's no, yeah. there's no, yeah. nothing in those scriptures. If you read the whole, I mean, I spent so much time just like, is it here? Is it here? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not there. It doesn't say we were immortal before. It doesn't say we had perfect natures before. And then we had this sin nature. It doesn't mm-hmm. say that anything ontologically changed in us. The only thing it did was say, it's time for us to move out. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all it said. And even that word um, to be you know, ba- banished, which is, I remember as a kid in my little storybook Bible, seeing this angel like point and we had to yeah. go very sad. And I thought, this is very uncertain for me, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's not how it was. It was like, you know, you move your kid into college and nobody says that, you know, you've decided that they don't have the correct nature anymore. Like this is just <laughs> how life goes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just part of, it's just part of growing up. It's a, it's yeah. a coming of age story. And so for me, the curses, which you know, I think it's one of those things that you could also spend 10 years on and say this, what's happening here. But what you wrote was revolutionary to me. I had never considered what was actually cursed in this yes. story. Yeah, it's really so helpful to pay attention to the details. But again, again, like you said, like when you look for what God is doing and what is actually happening, you can see that blessing shows up. You can see that mm-hmm. God in blessing says, who told you you're naked? And they're covering themselves with these awful fig leaves. And God is like, oh, honey, you know, here's some animal skin. Put your coat on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you got to do better than that, you know? And we Mm -hmm. think we deserve this and, or or that we think this is all we can get. And God is like here, you know, and how would that change so dramatically if God was like, I am so livid. I wish I hadn't made you. And now you're going to sin for all eternity and you're all going, you know, yeah. It's just not in there. So in yeah. the curses, I think really God is benevolently trying to say, kind of like parents who send their kids out into the world, whether to college or to wherever they're going and say, like, listen, you're going to need to budget. You're not going to be able to afford all the things you want. Um, mm-hmm. Work is hard, you know, like all just sort of a little, <laughs> hey, this is what being adult means. Like you need to think mm-hmm. about your life insurance and health insurance, and you're going to need to keep a thing amount if you get a broken tire, you know, you're going to need to have something around to fix that. I think this, I think the, the basic summary of the curses, the quickest way I can summarize it is life is a gift from God, but it is a gift that comes at a cost and Mm -hmm. we don't get out of it just because we are loved, right? Like that's just not how it works. I don't know why that's not how it works, but if we want to bring food from the earth, we have to sweat a little over it. And if as mm-hmm. women, we are to bear children into the world, whether metaphorically or actually literally, mm-hmm. that comes at a cost that it, it it's physically painful to be maternal in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that, that it is a great awe and responsibility um, yeah. and what a joy. And it doesn't, it doesn't come without suffering. I think it's, you know, it's what the Buddhists say, like there is mm. no way to get around suffering in this human life. And you just would do better if you could just say, yeah, that's part of the deal here. And yeah. I think the curses are more about God just trying to be really honest with these humans who are embarking out into this human life and saying, I'm going to be honest with you. Get ready. This wisdom yeah. stuff is no joke, you know? Yeah. What you point out in the book that, like I said, I had never considered is that God doesn't curse the humans. No. God curses the serpent and the ground. And the ground, yeah. Um, and God speaks to the humans, but... The, but when he says, cursed are you, he is not speaking to the humans that I, I about fell out of my chair when I read that. I was like, I, I have studied this passage. I've studied the Hebrew. I have read the commentaries. I have, I mean, for various different uh, topics over, over time, it has never occurred to me again, because of the felt board again, because of right. the way right. we've heard these stories our whole lives, the cartoonish idea, we think we know dad was mad. And he's punishing, mm -hmm. you know, the, he's punishing them. And uh, and I think there's even a little bit of extrapolation with the way the story of the flood is told or even Babel that we that we see, like, we do see God say, like, why did I do this <laughs> yeah. oh, in, yeah, in the text? Yeah. 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 In the text. And I think we sort of bring that back. But like you said, there's no right. evidence of anger. There's right. um, we we are projecting our we're projecting a tone onto God's voice that we also shouldn't do. And, and that it's the ground and the serpent that are, uh, that God uses the word curse for, and to the man and to the woman, he says, you're going to, you know, work is going to be harder, um, birthing, life. creating, um, fostering, cultivating life is going to be harder. Um, and in my opinion, uh, hierarchy and patriarchy is going to be, Something you have to battle heels. forever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's because, you know, when you have to discern between good and evil, people are going to get it wrong, which is why by the time we get to the story of Babel, you know, I think it feels incredibly important to say that when that shows up of what have I done is when we collectively gather for evil. And I wish we would pay more attention to that mm. as the, the sin that God is so heartbroken about. It is not this individual thing that happens yeah. that moves us into consciousness. It is when we collectively are deciding something that goes against the way of God. That is, that is what breaks God's heart. Um, that just um, feels so important, right? That's so, that's so important and powerful. I, I, I have also heard a quote somewhere of some preacher said, I don't know if it was Martin Luther or John Calvin. One of these guys said, uh, if the world had treated me like it has treated God, I would kick the vile, wretched thing to pieces. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so then I go, oh, that must have been what God was thinking. That's my, that's my, that must be what this means in Genesis five. He's kicking the vile, wretched thing to pieces. Yeah. He started, you know, and, and there's so much blessing in this, you know, in the flood story. I don't know how historically accurate or scientifically accurate it is, but it's, there's so much blessing all over that. It, it, it's just an interesting, it was this reading your book was such an interesting exercise in, whoa, wait, wait, what does this actually say yeah. what does how did they read it how did they get this, these stories passed down to them in the first place these you know captives in babylon who are writing it down the first time and 
Um, and why was, why was it important to keep telling this story this way? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, those sorts of things. And, and to just notice uh, the things that VeggieTales uh, summarized in, or, you know, the felt board or Sunday school or, um, or just bad theology, frankly, yeah, right. um, sort of distilled down and made too simple yeah. uh, for kids because, and they turned it into a kid story. Yeah. Which, you know what I mean? And so like the flood is not a kid story. Yeah, and even no, don't put it in your nursery. That is not really <laughs> where that was supposed to go. Yeah. A side note, one of a, somebody pointed out recently that when you see pictures, we see drawings of Noah's Ark, it's almost always the lions are both have manes, <laughs> which means it would both be males. Where are those ladies? <laughs> they certainly Where wouldn't be reproducing. Ladies? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Um, <laughs> you'll notice it every time you see it now. Um, okay. I want to move into talking about sin as a concept as well. Yeah. You talk about it in the book. Um because I, I imagine there's something in me even when I hear you talking about this is about maturation and wisdom and um, it's, it was the right decision. There's something that's in my bones that it's not, this isn't my conscious thought that's going, yeah. ah, ah. Right, <laughs> and right. so but they did something wrong and they have to pay for it. Right. God said no. And she did it anyway. I know I can eat an, a fruit. That's not sin for me to do. It wasn't a universal command, but um, you know, and then what about Paul? Paul, you know, these sort of things. And so can you, um, can you talk to that voice inside me? And I imagine there's listeners probably saying, this is really compelling. And also what do you, you know, how do I, how do I reconcile? How do I see, how am I supposed to see sin? Yeah. And I honestly, that might be a sin. Like, I think, I think it's a sin either way. That's why I think it's, Mm -hmm. it was just a necessary choice of like, Mm -hmm. well, I'm either going to disobey, um, or I'm going to stay here when it's probably time for me to go. Maybe mm-hmm. it was the wrong time, right? Like I've, I've had conversations with people where I'm like, you know, maybe Eve jumped the gun. Like I think this was, the, there's no way anyone can argue me yeah. biblically out of the fact that there's no way the whole plan was for them to stay there. That is just biblically unacceptable as an answer. Like when you go back right. to Genesis 2 and see the, the wide world and how God has set it up, mm-hmm. it there's no way that doesn't look temporary, you know? Well, um, the, also the next, you know, the saying that Jesus, the you know, Jesus coming was from the beginning of time. Well, if that's the case, this was didn't surprise God, certainly, if Jesus came as an answer to a sin problem. Right. Um, and also, uh, you know, like you said, it may be, may have been the, the uh, lesser of two evils that she chose yeah. from, or that it was going to happen. It was, it was a matter happen. of time, but it was going to happen. But scripture more often attributes this to attributes the entrance of quote sin into the world through Adam. Yeah. The only yeah, other place right. it's attributed to Eve is in first Timothy two, which we can talk about the yeah. hermeneutics of all day, but, um, right. but it's, it's, it's Adam, you know? And so I'm curious how you view is sin an individual act? Is it a yeah. condition? Is it uh, like you said, collective and communal versus individual? How do you, how do you, think about sin. Yeah. So I, I'm really very still fond of the definition that I gave in the book, which is quite simply that sin is disconnection. It is mm. any time that we make a choice that defies the, the deepest reality of the world, which is that we are all connected. So mm. um, there's no way not to sin, right? There's literally no way to do it because, yeah. you know, you purchase the most eco-friendly, fair trade, whatever, 
it still probably came at a cost that was yeah. different than what God wanted the world to be like somewhere yeah. down the line. Right. Yeah. Um, some bank or, you know, somebody got exploited farm, in the supply right? chain. Yeah. Something, right. You can, you can make all the conscious decisions that you want, mm-hmm. but we're in a complex situation at this point where there's no way to have a pure choice yeah. that, that fully reflects God's whatever, right? Like it's, mm-hmm that doesn't happen. So what you do is you say, I am going to always be mindful of choosing the thing that is less disconnecting because the sin is when Mm. you opt for something that is disconnection. So, you know, um, when we demean someone, when we take away the dignity of somebody that we consider to be our enemy, we're Mm. moving from just saying, I disagree with that. I'll, I'll even work against that in the world to saying they are somehow not allowed human dignity that is choosing disconnection, right? And when you Mm. do that in a collective effort, you get a war or you get racism or you get, you know, a Holocaust or slavery or any of these massive atrocities. So, um, yeah, disconnection is individual and collective. And I think it's really one of the things that I, I think that we are working in Christian theology right now to rectify is that we've only seen it as individual and that really mm-hmm. it's maybe communal first and individual second, if you, if you mm-hmm. look at how scripture is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to have both. I love that. And I, I there's a definition that I've heard. I don't remember who I heard this from, but Francis uh, Swefford, I think, is the one who said it. And that sin is the human propensity to fuck things up. Yeah. And, and, and that's undeniable. Like you said, it's not it's, – it, you can't look – you can look internally and see yourself. I've fucked things up. I see it all over the news. I see it on my social media feeds. I see it, you know, everywhere. And it, and it doesn't, I don't think there's always necessarily a, I don't know how to say this, a moral connotation that bad is what it's just a human propensity because we're human, a human propensity to make the wrong decision, to choose disconnection, to choose uh, something that's, that moves further away from wisdom mm-hmm. um, to choose the more convenient and self-serving thing um, when the, uh, the collective good may suffer, you know, things like that, that, um, that the action itself may not be uh, listed in the Bible in the list of sins or something, Yeah. but in the collective, in the communal, in the, in the larger sense, it quote, misses the mark. It, it, um, is disconnecting. I, uh, I really appreciate that reframe. Um, because, and this is, I think it's a Western thing also. I was, I can't remember whose book, I think it was Lisa Colon delay's book, like, uh, the wild land within or something. It's about tending sort of our inner landscapes. And she talked about how Eastern and Orthodox tradition, the, the main problem Jesus came to solve was death, not sin. Yeah. That it's the West that focuses on punishment and crime and justice and sin and um, and those sorts of things. That it's life and death in the Eastern and Orthodox. And it was that before the Great Schism. Yeah. Uh, you know, that Jesus has, you know, says if, you know, you have passed from death to life. Yeah. Um, and, and that like there's, you know, all over, um, all over even the, the epistles. Uh it's why eternal life is is the yeah. is the promise. It's yeah. Eternal life and resurrection, but um, but the the primary problem is not sin; it's death. And and I think that's an interesting aspect to weave into this as mm-hmm. well. 
Um, I want to ask you before we go, what, what is, you talk about at the end of the book, living into blessing. Mm -hmm. And so how can we practically, if somebody's listening to this and go, that was a really fascinating discussion. I'm going to study this myself, but what does it mean for me at work tomorrow? What does it mean for me at home with my family tonight? Um, How do we begin to practice living into blessing? Yeah. I, I think that the simplest way to say that is to start awakening to our interconnectedness. Um, to that reality of of what it would mean to be disconnected and what what in what ways we are attempting disconnection in our choices, right? So mm-hmm. we may or may not have the capacity to do to be above board on that fully, right? Like we don't, we don't. I don't want to choose connection all the time. Yeah, right. I, I mean, wanna, right. Like sometimes yeah. you're like, Pat, you know, I'm passing on that, right? And this is when mm-hmm. we know that God is a better God is better than we are, and it's good, right? Um, <laughs> right. But I, I think you know all of the great religions, um, and certainly um, the Judeo Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, Judaism and Christianity and even Islam is is about recognizing that interconnectedness and seeing how when we awaken more and more to that as the deepest reality, we do in fact make wiser choices. Like we say, mm-hmm. um, I was talking to a friend the other day about they're about to dump a ton of nuclear waste into the ocean. And we were like, how are we making these decisions? Right. Mm-hmm. We have to try to say no, you know, we, in whatever way we are not responsible for that, we are not on the committee that made that decision. We need to also call someone and say, you know, here's one human in America that's just not in favor of that. And can we like do something different? Like we have to still, still, still buy the fair trade coffee. It may be better. Oh, absolutely. Than the child slavery coffee, you know, or something. In every way possible, do the thing that feels like it's more about the connection. Um, because it is about choosing the life over death. Like I talk about that sin and death box getting swapped, um, in mm-hmm. the way that we understood the tradition. And I think that's incredibly important. So living into blessing is about recognizing our, what is Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese um, peace activist said, interbeing that we, I, we mm-hmm. are because you, the other is like, there is mm-hmm. no individual existence here. Um, yeah. And that's especially true for those of us who think that Genesis one and two are a declaration of God creating this as a relational reality for us Mm -hmm. in creation. Um, Mm. And so that means choosing, choosing what will, what will benefit abundant life for the most um, in a choice that we make. Right. Abundant life is one of my very favorite things to think about. And it's one of my very favorite paradigms to, uh, to sort of click into place and go like, Uh Oh, scarcity is not the case. It's abundance. Oh, uh, you know, this, this may be this, this theology may have been a way I understand something, but is that abundant life? No, that's a heavy yoke, you know, to just, to, to let that be the rubric. Mm -hmm. Um, and abundant life also, um, there is something that feels different. I I know because I was reading Rachel Held Evans book, a year of biblical womanhood. And that's when I switched to fair trade coffee and chocolate because she was talking about the exploitive practices of those yeah. larger company folders and stuff, uh, Hershey's. And so when I switched, there is something that felt more connected to the earth yes. and to my fellow man, my fellow yes. humankind. Yes. Um, when I knew 
I can't grow coffee beans, but I'm doing what I can. That's right. Um, and you know better. You I bought them from Amazon, so maybe that's not great. But, right. you know. so this is where it's like you are making yeah. a good choice in consciousness, right? When yeah. you know better, you do better. So you're like, gosh, yeah. I don't want to be. I don't want to be part of that exploitative process. So as much as right. I can say no to that, I will. And also, I'm not going to be dumb and say that I'm like perfect because also Amazon, yeah. you know? So right. it's just that. I mean, I have like, not entered a monastic community. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so even that, like even that, you know, people leave their families and their kids are like, yes. thanks a lot, Dad, that you went to go live as a hermit. <laughs> yep. So again, yeah. it's, we don't have to get it all 100% perfect. The issue is just to try to choose the thing that feels like it's more connecting. Um, and so that's, and to, you know, that's the practice. To bring that back even more sort of for, full circle, as I feel more connected to you, to to um, workers in the in the coffee fields, I don't know how coffee grows. Um, it's because I'm rec- like, I feel, I recognize their inherent blessing and dignity. I recognize yes. their belovedness to God, um, the earth's belovedness to God, yes. the, uh, and the, it's sort of, for me, that was one of the things that I noticed start to take place after I read your book and started to, you know, consider these ideas more was that's another way for me that practicing blessing and, and connection was a big piece of it, but the connection, it felt like, like the, the uh, fiber fiber cable was that we're all, it's not just, I am blessed, Uh, you know, I'm considering their status as an original blessing as well. Um, that's exactly so, it. One last question. I ask this of all of my guests. You can answer it as silly or serious, fast or slow, however you want to answer it. What is mattering most to you right now? Oh, well, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, the big question of my life has been for a while, but is certainly at this moment thinking about how we can support frameworks and practices of spiritual formation to help people grow. Um, Mm. I think about that like 80% of the time. (laughs) Same actually. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think the thing that that matters a lot to me right now, I'm sort of deep in it. Okay. Oh man. That was my conversation with Danielle Schroyer. I so enjoyed her book, Original Blessing, if you couldn't tell from this interview. And um, I just loved getting to chat with her about it and to hear her um, her interpretations of scripture and to talk through those things. I hope this was um, beneficial and a blessing, in fact, to you. My thanks again to Danielle for joining me today. You can find her on Instagram at Danielle Schroyer or on her website at DanielleSchroyer.com. I will link to these, of course, in the show notes as well. Join me next week as we continue to make space for, honor, and name what matters. And now, according to our tradition, as we close out, I offer you this benediction that comes straight from Numbers chapter 6, the priestly blessing. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.